Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Uh, good morning, everybody, as it is here. It's just after 8 o'clock in the UK, 8 o'clock in the evening, just after 7 o'clock in the morning here in the central west of New South Wales. We're at Bathurst, for the Little Molly Bathurst, 12 hours. The sun came up about 45 minutes ago. It was spectacular. And for once, rather than sitting uh, in the relative cool, calm and quiet of the press room, I'm outdoors uh, in our accommodation downtown in Bathurst, just off one of the main streets here. Uh, still plenty of wildlife around us. We did have a kangaroo in the pit lane yesterday. No, really, and it wasn't organised. It just happened. And uh, so prepare to hear some rather different background audio than usual in this week's midweek motorsport. We're on Series 15, and this, I think, is Episode 4. We'll check that with our... Executive producer Tim Greer, who's up and around in London. Good evening, Tim. G'day, Carvers. <laughs> Don't do that. It is I indeed Johnny... episode four. Excellent. I did get Johnny to bring the Vegemite out for a moment just so that I just could so be. You could so lonely bury it. No, no, I love Vegemite. It's great. The it's problem not is, I don't eat bread anymore. Though, is it? It's not the same, but it's not meant to be. Um, but it's, it's also not as it's good. Mid. Well, it's just different. Depends what you're doing with it. Anyway, moving on. Um, we'll be talking about Marmite and Vegemite convergence later on. That's what you, you said we had to talk about today, wasn't it? That's in the second oh, not of the that. show, once uh, Johnny Palmer's woken up. Johnny's up and around, he's fine. As is Shea Adam, they'll be joining us in the second hour of tonight's programme. Plenty of excitement uh, this evening with big news stories breaking all all over the place. Uh, the convergence of which we speak, of course, was the ACO and IMSA. And that happened last Thursday or Friday? Friday. Um, it is, of course, Thursday morning here, by the way, in case anybody's asking. Let me do a little bit of housekeeping. Um, Motorsport Matty says, the one time a year I get up to listen live because I'm already up and about to start our 10-hour road trip to Bathurst. Hello, Motorsport Matty. Uh, hello to Jesse. We'll get a picture, actually, of me just sitting gently in the shade in the back garden. Uh, I'm a couple of hundred metres behind you in the paddock campground, says Ted the Toyman. Uh, no Wi-Fi to listen to the show. If you could accidentally switch the circuit mic on, we'll listen to the show. That would be great. Not at the circuit, actually, at the moment, Ted. Uh, hello to Phil. Uh, any chance of a rundown of every car from the uh, D24 tonight? What will happen to all 38 cars? Wow. Mm. There's an idea for what we should do in post-race tech. Yeah, that's a very good idea. 
Uh, Preston Buckley was listening at the Convergence press conference in preparation for Midweek Motorsport, listening while getting some Bathurst laps in on the sim. Hello to Carol Brink, who is in Coachella. Uh, that looks nice. Uh, Oliver Giles, Olivier Gilles, uh, is travelling home following an exam from London, but he'll be churning in for the Bathurst 12 hours coverage. Rob Chalmers, listening live tonight, this morning, whatever, basking in the warm glow of buying something from Orica, and it's not an LMD8, or is it, he says. Stephen Lloyd's uh, tuned in tonight, got the football on mute, midweek motorsport on sound, miles better than over-egotistical football commentators, and we can promise you, no VAR here. Uh, Kevin Payne, She Sells Sanctuary, was playing pre-match at Villa last night, and they got the result, didn't they? Uh, Listening live for the first time away from retail in 16 years, says Adrian Michael Reese. I'm now in a call centre for a company that also, albeit in a distant cousin-esque scenario, owns F1. Don't ask me to fix something yet. I'm still in training. I need more details, AMR. Daniel Summerskill, interesting article uh, on Formula One. He's working in uh, customer services for a cable company, isn't he? I'm sure. Uh, Daniel Summerskill says, what about Mercedes in Formula One? Will he be talking about that tonight? No. We will. You know he will. Okay. Joel Zotabridge says, uh, tip the same with the added booking of booking with travel destinations. We've, that makes a Wednesday even better. Uh, right, Tom Lever says, hello, Australia. Is it February already over there? If it was the weather you were going by, you would think it was July. It's fabulous. Beautiful clear skies. And uh, I'm sitting out in the garden, shorts and a t shirt, uh, getting ready for a busy day. Tuned in. Uh, for my first live broadcast of Midweek Motorsports, says Jesse Young, in the progress of recreating this year's Walton Horse BMW from the Bathurst 12 hours in Gran Turismo. Oh, wow. Um, well, it only just got here. Um, if you didn't hear our walkabout, um, which was must have been late last night or early, I can't even work out when that went out yesterday uh, from Creelsey and I. However, we'll replay it tonight after the show. Some great people. Defending champion Matty Campbell in there, Rick Kelly and one of the stars of last year's show, Jake Dennis. Uh, that's all uh, coming up after Midweek Motorsport tonight. Guff Lamont enjoyed the show. Uh, he must have heard it. Victor Ellis, listening live, delivering the Ellis girls to ballet rehearsals. Gearbox girls, uh, Jenna says, Gearbox Girls' voice is my favourite part of Daddy forcing us to listen, listen to car racing for 24 hours. <laughs> hang, hang on, hang on. Uh, this, is, this, is for, uh, this is for Jenna. Jenna, I love you guys too. There you go. That was just for you. I thought you were just going to say, hello. Uh, David Tubrews is in. Chris Humphreys is in. Uh, who else is in? Uh, let me scroll through. Shane, listening... Uh, on his way to Bathurst for the 8th 12-hour race. Uh, Nick H is listening. Rob Jane listening for the first time in ages. My goodness, we've got a big audience uh, tonight. Listening live whilst I study, says Slow Pass. Uh, what are you studying? That's the big question. Sarah Mug- uh, Rigby, good morning, uh, she says, and good evening to you. Andrew Muggeridge is listening tonight. We are busy. Uh, oh, there is. There is indeed a little picture that she has just uh, put that out uh, on uh, at Specutainment and at Gearbox Girl. Right, that's everybody so far. At Specutainment is still where you want to be. Let's play the jingle and head to the top story. 
latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Uh, I love well, fresh orange juice. Fresh so orange juice down here. Squeeze out of an orange. It was, this was very recently in orange, I'll tell you that. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, let's introduce Nick Damon. Good evening, Nick Damon. Good evening, me. Uh, good evening, you. Good evening, everybody. Uh, we're going to start uh, by going back to uh, something we did just before Christmas. Buying presents? <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, but not giving or receiving them. Uh, do you remember how before Christmas we told you that all bar one of the riders in MotoGP had a contract which ran out at the end of 2020? Yes, mm-hmm. I do remember that conversation. Well, the silly season has got underway already. Yes, uh, the, it, sorry, yes, it has. Carry on. Yes, it has. Uh, first of all, Maverick Vinales uh, signed a two-year contract with Yamaha uh, for 2021 and 2022. No surprise there. Do you want to go into a bit more detail? Otherwise, it's no. going to be a very short show. Well, no, I'm just thinking, I mean, the fact is, obviously, the situation is, is that the only rider who had a long-term contract was, of course, um, our multi-multi-multi-world champion, Mark Marquez, at Honda. Um, but um, the thing is, is that the Yamaha team, obviously, despite their relative underperformance with um, Valentino Rossi and Maverick Vinales, uh, they had both their riders available for both poaching and for re-signing, uh, they have made a very quick decision to re-sign Maverick Vinales to give him as settled a basis for the year as possible. I think that's something that Maverick needs. He's a, it seems to be a little bit of a driver who can lose his head um, for races or even whole blocks of races. They did finish the season very strongly. Um, so he was signed on Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday. He was signed up uh, for two years. That's the normal uh, renewal process, those two years. And it was really no surprise, given that before Christmas, um, in the at last... Um, post-season test rather than pre-season test um there had already been conversation about what to do about valentino rossi who's of course turning 41 this year and the fact of course that they have um vanderkind fabio quattararo in the satellite well, trainers team thank you i've been mean, really took a run up at that one um Excellent. now on he's fabio um and, you and got was... vanderkind right so hmm? should i go um <laughs> I'm not sure what more you'll be able to offer us, to be honest. It's true. But, Realistically, I have peaked way too soon. Four sentences in. But so Fabio was, was um, after a fantastic rookie year with uh, multiple pole positions, a number of podiums, and just missed out on the win, I think, um, mainly because every time he got on the podium, so he got a pole position, it was Mark Marquez who managed to win the race. So, uh, but he did get in, in, in Marquez's head. And he's only 20, so he's, what, five, six years younger than Marquez. It was obvious he was going to get promoted up from uh, the Petronas satellite team. And interestingly, yesterday, sorry, interestingly, today, sorry, he was given that, that buff. He got himself a two-year contract for 21 and 22. And also, for this year, he'll be on a full works bike. So whilst it'll be in a different garage, in the Petronas satellite garage, it will be a full works bike. So exactly the same upgrades and developments as the main um, and the same number of engines and the same rev limits uh, as the two works riders. So effectively, uh, Yamaha will have three works riders uh, this year um, in two different teams, and then they will have Quattararo and Vinales for 2021, which obviously leaves the question, what will happen to um, the man who may or may not be the greatest of all time, certainly the most popular oh, of all oh, time? I know, I know, I know, I've got my hand up. Go on. Well, he goes to a satellite team, Ray Brands at VR46, and rides with his brother, Luca Marini. 
his half brother. Yeah. Yeah, that's option A. Um, option B, obviously, is he now has the opportunity to do a lap of honour of every single race circuit in a, in a retirement season. Um, he himself said that the reason he wasn't completely concerned about these various signings and re-signings is because he was never, ever in the market to sign a new contract this early in the season. He himself noticed there being a drop-off uh, mm-hmm. during last season. Uh, yeah, he's had problems. Certainly had problems in the past three or four years, but a lot of it's been more to do with the bike not being in position to win. Hence the reason he's actually done better than Vinyard, I think, two out of the last three years. Um, so he he has changed his, his um, uh, chief engineer uh, in an attempt to 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 bring the changes in this, in this season, and he wanted to see how it was going, and then make a decision about what happens next. Um, so the very well respected Matt Oxley, who works for Motorsport Magazine among others has been reporting that um, Rossi would, quote-unquote, happily drop to the satellite team for 2021. Um, So, I mean, uh, Matt isn't a a one to be firing out silly things. So I think you've got to take that relatively, uh, relative, excuse me, relatively uh, seriously. Um, But the the latest from Yamaha says um, that they are agreeing to take time to decide the plans between Valentino Rossi and Yamaha. And that surely, above anything else, given Rossi's status in the paddock and what has done, surely he deserves that. I mean, I know it's still a business, Nick, and I know it's still a cutthroat sport. But if, if there is a rapprochement or not even a rapprochement actually just a deal to be done surely taking their time and not rushing into it just because it is quote unquote the silly season surely that's the right thing to do yeah I think I think you mentioned it it's a business and Yamaha are in the business of selling motorcycles and I'll tell you right now that Fabio and Maverick would sell one motorcycle to every thousand motorcycles that Valentino Rossi sells for them um if it, if it was purely a business-only decision, then Rossi would be in the in the works team front and centre of every piece of advertising. But um, yeah. you know, it, it, there is a performance element. You know, he is 41, and it, 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 obviously at this point, if he, if he is happy to run the satellite team, knowing you know, knowing he's just going to be you know, running around in sevenths and sixths and fifths and fourths, obviously a man who has a, a very serious addiction to to MotoGP racing. But, you know, despite the fact, obviously, if he wanted to carry on racing, he has a, already a successful sports car career behind him, which he could carry on with. So here's what Yamaha have said. Um, Following discussions between Yamaha and Rossi, the Italian will take until mid-2020 to make the final call whether he will remain as an active rider in MotoGP in 2021. Time is requested by Rossi to evaluate his competitive speed compared to the rest of the MotoGP grid after completing the first seven or eight races of 2020. Now here's the killer. Should Rossi decide to continue as a MotoGP rider in 2021. Yamaha assures Rossi of the availability of a factory-spec YZR-M1 bike and full Yamaha motor company engineering support, irrespective of his decision for the future. Yamaha will provide full support and total focus for the 2020 season as Rossi commences his, now wait for this, 25th Motorcycle Grand Prix Racing World Championship season, 21st season in the Premier Class and 15th with Yamaha. So what they're saying there, he'll get a factory spec bike, whatever he decides to do in 2021. How does that sit? You're not allowed to do that if he was a satellite team, though. 
would you? I think so you that means they see in the gallery. The satellite bike rules are are different if you're trying to be a claiming team, but it's it's effectively. I mean, the, 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 yeah, the, the days of yeah, there are obviously satellite teams. You've got last year's bikes. Some of the ones have this year's bikes, but they've got engines with lower rev limits that will last longer as a, as a money-saving situation. I mean, the question, obviously, is, you know, Ross is out of contract. The the, the big thing is, you know, giving them a bike's one thing, but how much are they going to pay him for the for, in the satellite team? So he would be doing it for not much cash, though I'm sure he can make carry on making vast amounts from, from promotional. And, and really, does he need any more money at this point? No. So... Um, it's a, it's a, it's a quite an, it's a very elegant solution for Yamaha because they've managed to to solve their problem without having a problem at all, and they've kept mm-hmm. hold of Fabio. Maverick will, I would think, naturally navigate to the aggressively uh, gravitate to being the number two rider in that team if Fabio continues in even slightly the same upward trajectory as on last year. Uh, and Valentin will either have a half season of waving goodbye or another season of, um, you know, bringing in the thousands of fans to every single track. There still isn't a replacement for him, is there, in terms of the sport? No, but I do think that the, I think, as we said, three or four, we had this conversation about four or five years ago, I think, with, and it was like, it was, if he just, if he'd done the normal thing that people do, which is retire at like 33, MotoGP would be in serious trouble. Um, because of this long tail to his career, which has enabled other people to establish themselves and him not to be the focal point of the entire, um, circus, even people, you know, the, the current best rider in the world, you know, Whilst he doesn't have the positive charisma of Rossi, is certainly a superbly divisive figure, which gets bums on seats and and clicks on on bait. So it's you know they they, they, yeah, they are they, yeah you, you're not going to replace Rossi, but the gaping chasm has gone. Mm, great, okay. Moving on. Uh, well, we're not moving on uh, far away from bikes uh, because uh, there are teams that have launched their bikes. Uh, in the last week, and there are teams that are going to uh, launch their bikes next week. Any surprises in how they look or sound from what you've seen so far, Nick? I haven't heard any of them, but there's there's no changes to the... Well, actually, is it the Aprilia that's changed the engine, isn't it? Well, the biggest problem Aprilia have got uh, is the upcoming potential ban for uh, Andre Iannone, who, of course, Indeed. I'm not sure we covered this. He failed his B test. So he's definitely getting banned for some period of time. It's whether they accept it was a mistake and it's like a short token ban or it's a wilder insisted two year ban. Um, so it's, uh, it's interesting on that front, but that's pretty, of course, who are changing their, um, their engine, uh, firing order. Uh, I think they're going to a, they were in a, I can't remember, they're going down to a, a different V angle, whatever it is, but it, that, that's quite a big change. So losing in only for the testing, to testing that's coming up in the, the next few weeks is uh, quite a big thing. So as, as the team says, the band's more than a few months, that'll be the end of their relationship, which is obviously great news for Bradley Smith, who will jump in for the rest of the season, but another year really where Pruitt will be treading water and just hoping to do, to catch up on the back of the other works bikes, because they are a long way off the back at the moment. I knew I was going to get that wrong. Dostanolone is an exogenous, anabolic, androgenic steroid. Well done. If you so, claims he got from Asian meat. Oh, right, okay. He's got coronavirus as well. More on that later. Asian meat sounds like a website you don't want to visit, doesn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Move on. It's early morning here, not past the uh, oh, water. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so February the sixth is when Suzuki are going to launch their bike, which oddly enough uh, they're doing in Sepang, which is where everyone's testing that week. Yeah, it's a nice, super cheap launch. 
Um, yeah, I mean, they've got, yeah, I think the Ducati launch was actually only their, their, their paint scheme, wasn't it? Um, which was even. I thought even they fired more, up the engine on their online stream. Yeah, possibly, but yeah, it's. They won't sound very different. The engines, there's no major change. There. It'll just be a slight tune-up, as they say. Yeah, they've gone as they often do in Ducati. In this case, despite that, there's no actual link between the two firms at all anymore. Uh, they've obviously got the same sort of sponsorship look as Ferrari have for, for um, Ducati, and they've got the uh, the uh, Philip Morris um, give up smoking by smoking stuff company, haven't they? Yes. Uh, who was I going to talk about next? Uh, Jovin Zarco, uh, he's been saying nice things about Lorenzo. Has he? Yes. Hmm? Oh, I haven't seen those nice things. Um, Lorenzo looks like he's going to pick up a Yamaha test ride, isn't it? So yes. he's going to see the test rider for them. Um, but he's staying retired. Um, so what's, what's, what have nice things has Johan been saying? He's basically been saying that... Uh, the fact that uh, Lorenzo was able to win on a Ducati uh, encouraged him to sign for Ducati. Right. Yes. That, everyone that. else thought that the Ducati was possibly a terrible bike. Well, given the fact that Petrucci and Dovizioso um, uh, have also banned, even on a couple of occasions, Miller have been able to win on uh, Ducatis. Yeah. I mean, I'm not overly sure. I mean, obviously when Rossi was riding the thing, it was an absolute dog, but they did manage to improve it. Um, you know, it, Casey Stoney could ride it, no one else could. Um, it, was, it, it went backwards and downhill, and uh, Ross had two bad years, and then, then of course, it kind of picked up a little bit after that, but not substantially. Uh, Most GP is going to Thailand this year. Just They've been there before, twice, I think it's the third time they've been there, isn't it? Yes. Where, where am I thinking of that they're going to where the circuit's uh, not finished yet? New circuit. Is it anywhere. Indonesia? Anyway. Uh, yeah, there is, there is a new Indonesian circuit, yes. It's, not, it, it, it's not 40% finished, anymore. apparently. So. That means it's 60% unfinished. Well, that means you could have a Supermortal instead of uh, Mortal GP. You do some motocross. Great. That's what I mean. Yeah. bit on the track. Supermortal is the bike equivalent of Rallycross, and is brilliant. I thought, have you seen them? I think what I saw on the TV last week. Have you seen them? They're now doing like, super trials. Where they, where they, you know, obviously a trial bike. Normally, it's against against the clock. You know, huge, difficult obstacles and everything else. Well, they've toned yeah, you have it to down ride a bit. House. Yes, they've toned it down a bit. But now they're having like ten ten bikes going round a track, doing doing trials type stuff as a race. Do you know what I saw at the end of last year and could not believe my eyes, and then showed yeah. it to Johnny Palmer a couple of weeks after I saw it, and he couldn't believe his eyes either. I hate to think. Come on, then. Sidecar <laughs> motocross. Oh, oh yeah, it's been six years. Oh man, that is the Side- most dangerous thing I've ever seen. I've commentated on that on the Western Beach, beach Race. They had sidecars in that. Mm. They used to have it on. Of course, it was before Johnny was born, but um, it was on. It used to be on grandstand for mm. all of the all and of the sidecar grass track. Sidecar grass track as well. But they used to have sidecar motocross on grandstand in the days when the BBC covered motorsport. Anyway, moving <laughs> this is on. just flying through the air. Oh, That's yes, great. <laughs> and I still want to be a sidecar passenger. On, You'd have to be... Uh, we, we, sorry, I'm saying you. Whoever was doing it, you have to be so fit for that. Yes, absolutely. I'm not, not, I'm not saying I want to do it for a season of World Championship racing, Nick. I just oh. want to go around 
Cadwell or somewhere. Where's your ambition? And you, you need to absolutely trust the person uh, who's on the bike. And they need to trust you as well, which is probably more of the... Anyway, uh, shall we do Maybe a, you a and couple Nick of do it together. <laughs> I was going to move on to um, World Superbikes. Oh, yes. Let's, been... let's have, let's okay, have some tweets, tweets on what we've just done. Uh, right Turn Lover says, on the uh, Rossi thing, given how brilliantly the satellite yams were run last season, maybe it's not a bad idea for them to move to a satellite. And by the way, he says, there's no claiming rules anymore. Manufacturers get eased in with a bit more freedom and fuel until they are competitive. Oh, okay. Uh, hello to 24 Le Mans. That's not about uh, bikes. Where did that say the other one? Okay, anyway, carry on. Uh, well, Superbike's been testing, hasn't it, Nick? Down in Portimao. Lovely oh, place. Yeah, it was a while ago, wasn't it? Was, was it? was it last week they were testing? The end of last week? I can't remember. Uh, they were still testing yesterday. Oh, no, they started again today. They set a second one. That's right. They had two days last week. One day was rained off. The second day was led by Johnny Ray. Um, and then they've been here this week as well. Um, and um, uh, one of the, well, the report I've got here is, is a, excellent news for me. It was top rack Raz Gatilugu. Um, uh, who topped it, and uh, and Scott Redding, who's obviously on the Ducati, uh, is looking a lot quicker than uh, Chas Davis at the moment. So it's uh, an interesting um, change of uh, um, power there. But interestingly, Leon Haslam is looking a lot faster than Alvaro Bautista on the Hondas as well. So um, uh, the only thing that's happening that's quite expected is that Johnny Ray's looking quite good. But the other all is still being missed about, and they also think the Hondas are a bit quicker than they were expecting, because so they reckon the Hondas might be on the pace very, very quickly, rather than being a long way behind as they have been for the last, what, six, seven years. Dave Baker's just said, ah, motocross, or as I call it, flying and ploughing. That's very good, Dave. Very good. <laughs> Where are we going to next? Uh, let's switch to four wheels. Does that mean we're moving to... Formula One. Hey, 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 anyway, come. So, <laughs> lots of Formula One news this week uh, because Mercedes are pulling out of the sport at the end of this season. McLaren <laughs> will become a Mercedes works team. Lewis Hamilton is going to Ferrari, and uh, who knows what's going to happen to Toto Wolff. This is all part of one story, isn't it? That's all part of one story. And actually, there's three more stories which are all part of that story as well, which is that uh, Lawrence Stroll is going to sell Racing Point and buy Aston Martin, and Racing Point's going to become an Aston Martin Works team, and um, Mercedes are going to supply the engines... Now, I thought mm-hmm. that Lawrence Stroll. I thought that we, it, 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 let's run the whole rumor first, and then let's debunk some of it. Um, right. Well, let's start was, at the top. Toto Wolff and Toto Let- Wolff and Lance Stroll were going to buy Bra- Team Brackley and then rebrand that Aston Martin and just let Racing Point go somewhere else. They're going to search Nikita Mazepan, weren't they, Stad? Oh, of right, course. Stop, yes. stop, 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 stop. You've got to go back to the original part of this. Okay. Part of this. Okay, so Mercedes, Mercedes are pulling Benz. out. They've got a right. stop, stop, board meeting st- on February the 12th where at uh, Daimler uh, right. where they're going to make You need to go back to last year, Tim. Tim, you need to go back to last year. Mercedes-Benz have set itself the goal of saving 1.4 billion euros and people have latched onto this. Now, Nick is going to come back to that in a minute and say why that's interesting. So by the end of 2022, they want to save 1.4 billion euros um, and they've announced a series of job and investment cuts 
to get towards that goal. Now, despite the fact that prize money and sponsorship is covering the majority of the F1 team's expenditure, the Daimler board thinks that competing in uh, an extravagant sport when redundancies are there and the environmental messaging is increasingly important. So that's where that all comes from to start with. Now, Nick, what you've got to talk about who actually owns Mercedes F1, because isn't Toto a substantial shareholder of the team? No, 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 no. Mercedes, Mercedes owns the whole of Mercedes. No, um, the, I think, I think, is, is a short I think, I think there's a small amount of shares All right, were owned by Nicky Lauda. And a small amount of shares would be owned by Toto Wolff, but not not enough to you know ripple much through. The, the key thing to remember about this is yes, absolutely, Mercedes Benz Mercedes Benz AG want to save money. That's that's absolutely correct. Well, dear Benz, yeah. But let's just say that the, the article itself says that the astronomical costs at the top of the spending are mostly covered by um, sponsorship and prize money. So therefore. Even if you're spending, let's say, 800 million a year, if you are being covered by 650 or 700 million a year, the maximum you can save is 100 million. By stopping F1, you don't save 800 million euros. You just save what you are losing. But hang on a minute. The other thing you have to remember is, is that if you're going to sell your cars, you have to market them. And marketing them costs money. And to give you, what people don't realise is how expensive marketing is. A good example is films. A film, any sort of blockbuster film which has a budget of two hundred million dollars will normally have almost that much again as a marketing budget. So marketing yeah. is incredibly important. So the fact is that hundred million or one hundred fifty million euros of expenditure is effectively buying them all the massive amount of coverage that Mercedes gets from F1, and that is trillions of well, say billions of euros worth money you can't, coverage you can't buy especially if they're so successful it is it would be a hemorrhaging of cost of, of of overall value if they pulled out that's a that's a fact it, it, it's it is because they've done so well because where f1 is because you can't talk to people like you can with f1 because there's no other sport like it which has the same international coverage and they're an into company it's it's goes without saying that F1, when you actually count the numbers properly, not Silverson numbers and not Australian Grand Prix way, makes a massive profit from what and they part of this, A part of this is all down to what Toto's doing. And to be honest, there is no reliable information at the moment. Toto's not talking. Um, there's one side of the story that says he wants to take up the opportunity to go into a manufacturer and take up a top-line position. At the moment, that's two and two together have been making 426 and Aston Martin's road car division um, already has a pretty good and well-sorted uh, hierarchy and actually isn't doing too badly uh, at the moment. And once they get the DB, they've spent a lot of money recently, they've invested a lot and they've got the new factory going. DBX is here actually this weekend for its Australian uh, debut. Uh, so, that's one side. The other side has, has said Wolf has got no interest in going into a leadership role with a road car manufacturer. Now, let's get down to uh, Lawrence Stroll. Because so, 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 he, no, sorry, John, before we get there, there's one other financial, really pertinent financial yeah. point. <laughs> We've just said that perhaps it's cost them 150 million euros a year. 
In yeah. 2021, we have something called a cost cap coming in. There we go. I did watch million euro, which is going to reduce the operating budget, probably because of what's not included in that, by at least 60 to 80 million euros. So suddenly, the, the actual cost of F1 to Mercedes probably drops to 50 million euros uh, against the billion euros of publicity it develops. So you're thinking, there is no financial reason, which is key, there's no financial reason that would make any sense to stop doing it. Now, obviously, we then move into politics, and as everyone knows, politics doesn't have to make sense. No. All right, so that's put, and in fairness, you've done your bit because you've just bought a Mercedes for the wife, so that's I that's good. I, I'm, I'm impressed. I'm impressed by that. Right, let's get into a couple of other things on this that have been buzzing around for a little while. You've mentioned um, Stroll selling Racing Point if he gets involved. Uh, Dmitry Mazepan, uh, the Belarus-born Russian billionaire, is the man uh, allegedly who's going to take that over. Uh, he's got a son in. Uh, racing who's tested for uh, has he tested for F, uh, Force India before? Yeah, yes, loads, he has. tested for loads of people. Now, here's the other thing that I heard ages ago and, funny enough, was trying to follow up recently, um, was that the Chinese car maker Geely, who, let's not forget, already owns uh, Volvo and, and Polestar, which is their sports brand, and Lotus. Um, they're interested in Aston Martin, and they're also interested in Formula One. So that's sitting out there on the sidelines as well. All of this, however, in terms of the sport, means that it's dragged back to, to Lewis Hamilton. Now, let's go back to where we were talking about. Now, And we should say, if even if the Mercedes team ownership changed, it doesn't necessarily mean that Hamilton would move, Nick. Um, but... Uh, he um, he's he's very close to Toto Wolf. He said in the past that he didn't want him to leave Mercedes if he was going to stay there and stay in the sport. So where are we with Lewis and and what is what are his options then? Well, or is, or yeah. is it just all of these things being put together that are slightly disparate? Yeah, and I think and I think are trying we, to put we, them in a pot. Yeah, I think the the thing that the, one of the all those things which I think. We've, with, with the whole Mazapan and Mazapan, sorry, I should stop saying Mazapan. Nikita Mazapan's father and everything else. The only thing that is, I think, actually true out of all that. I'm not saying that everything, anything else is false, but the thing that, I, I do think that Lawrence Stroll has expressed interest in investing in the Aston Martin road car business. He, that is a fact. Now that is as likely to be a totally separate investment as anything rolled into the F1 business. It's, it's you no know, Lawrence is incredibly successful, rich businessman, and the. You know, Throwing 200 million at Aston Martin, surprisingly, wouldn't be a massive dent in his, in his wealth, but would make a huge difference to Aston Martin. So that's a separate thing. But obviously, as you quite rightly say, John, people put things together. The situation with Lewis Hamilton is quite simple. He is out of contract at the end of this year, and he is effectively going to be signing his last, well, probably his last um, contract. So you know, before he retires. Now. I heard it's amazing how things change because I heard just 10 days ago there was a possibility he was going to sign a four-year contract mm. uh, uh, and uh, and then go go four-year contract Mercedes ambassador so do the thing Nick Hacken's been doing for the last um, 20 years so I effectively think that's very then, and that was that was, it was going to be four years and that was that was actually sort of the first reaction to the Verstappen news that they, that they actually upped the time that he, he was thinking of staying do four years now take me to 30, I think I've got, I think it'd be 38, 39 at that point. And, 39 will be. And that's, you know, 
and they, they were talking about 40 million euros a year, blah, blah, blah. blah. Now, what's interesting happened is that that was all going swimmingly along, and now there's rumours that there's, there's stalling and, and changes and um, question marks about the contract. And, you know, the fact is that it's thought that Lewis has taken the opportunity of, of Max Verstappen not being available to think, right, well, you, you now have no option in the top driver marketplace apart from me, so I'll bung another 10, 15 million euros on top of what I was asking and see what happens. And Mercedes turned around and go, hang on, we're making, we're making cuts here, left, right, centre. And they've all, it's all got offhand again. And, and it's really interesting how all these stories are coming out at the same time because effectively mm. do not believe that these are don't believe they're true, but don't believe they haven't necessarily come from an interested source. So what you have well, here in F1 and Mercedes is exactly the same as that briefing politics you get as a cabinet is beginning to collapse in the British government or as you get when you've, when you've got all these various stories coming out about you know, in Congress and everything else. Because there's people with a vested interest taking a piece of information they've heard and feeding it to a tame um, journalist, and that tame journalist is then spinning it or reporting it but we get this whole brilliant story, which, as you as you outlined at the start, John, now runs to about 17 different stories as people have put A to B to C. And in a big, big multinational organization, which is making huge changes like Mercedes, there's a lot of jockeying of a position. And there's a lot of people who know people who are saying little snippets of what they think. And, you know, it, down to things like, oh, well, yeah, we're going to can the main team. Don't forget, if you can the main team, that would cost them a fortune because they had to make all these people redundant. So that's not going to save them any money. And if they were going to sell it, they wouldn't sell it for what it's worth because people knew it would be a fire sale. So it's very easy to say we're going to close down F1. But closing down F1 is, you know, a thousand people, even without Bricksworth, which they – so – They would keep that on. They've already – I think yeah. they've already, it's already but, been but made clear that the Brackley, customer engine division would yeah. stay on. Yeah, Team Brackley is, is a thousand people and, and, you know, all on good contracts, all on good packages because it's, they're, they're with the best team and therefore it's not, you know, the, the, if this happens, if the F1 team is eased back, it is nothing to do with money. No. Because it actually so makes a, it makes I, a profit <clears throat> under the line. Can I add in another piece of news which to many may seem unconnected but last week and we reported it whilst we were in Daytona our motorsport who run the license to run the Aston Martin shaped DTN cars in the German touring car series withdrew from this series competition after a very public spat with their engine supplies HWA towards the end of last year um, all kinds of machinations going on there and they were trying to source a, a replacement four-cylinder engine. Everybody runs on the four-cylinders now, uh, including approaching Honda, um, is what I was told. Whatever happened, it didn't work. It's gone. Now, why is that part of this story? Uh, you may ask, dear listener, and it's a reasonable question. Our motorsport, uh, Dr. Florian Kamelke, is one of, if not the biggest Aston Martin dealer in the world, um, out of Switzerland and spends a lot of money on his racing. They're here this weekend with cars. And the strong suggestion, I'm choosing my words very carefully here, is that at least the original design and possibly even more of the financing for Valkyrie, on which Aston Martin are 
uh, basing their Le Mans hypercar was being provided by effectively by our motorsport and with them having a license to uh, sell the cars or even potentially in and this has happened before um, you remember the lovely old Volvo two-door coupes TWR did a lot of the design work on that and Tom Waltonshaw managed to uh, negotiate that they got what was, was effectively a royalty payment from each one and it's been suggested to me that that has been that's the case with um, the Swiss and some of the mid-engined Aston Martin cars that are being developed now. Now, clearly, there's a Red Bull connection there. There is uh, a Mercedes connection there. And the reason, reason I say the Mercedes connection there is if Mercedes were to take on Aston Martin, Mercedes have got their own hypercar, which is called the One or something like that, isn't it? Project One. Yes, which has been delayed and delayed and delayed. And it actually does, in fairness to them, feature a Formula One engine uh, in the car, which they're trying to make um, road legal and road reliable, which is an extraordinary feat of engineering. So I'm going to throw that in there as well and say this is as much an Aston Martin story, Nick, as it is a Mercedes story, a Daimler-Benz story, actually. The big thing that has drawn people's eyes to this is Daimler-Benz saying one2 about 1.4 billion euros savings. Uh, oh, look how much Formula One's costing us. But but this is all about the general situation in the automotive industry and in motorsport. And I think you're very right to point out that out of all the teams in Formula One, the one probably spending the least in terms of actual money, we're not saying what it costs, we're saying not how much they expend, but how much actually comes out of the bottom line. So, as you rightly say, you can be you could be spending four billion a year on Formula One, but if you're getting three point eight back, then your actual expenditure is only two hundred million. I say it quickly, like it doesn't sound very big, but the point is that I I wait. I'll I'll wait to be informed. I've got to chat with a couple of people that I think will know a bit more about this but does it not nick just underline why the cost cutting for formula one can't come quick enough in terms of because what we're talking about here is we're talking about outward perception we're not Mm -hmm. actually talking about the accountancy department and the finance department of multi 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 billion dollar and euro companies we're talking about outward perception aren't we Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, and I think it's also to quite a Eurocentric audience as well. I mean, I don't, you know, not being funny, but if you look at, you know, other you know, countries, they're, they're a lot less concerned about, um, the emissions environment thing and they, and they you know, cause they, they, they look at, they're, they're still, you know, looking at the glamour and the speed and everything else. But, you know, there is, there is this double-edged sword. Never forget in Germany, the Green Party has a great number of seats in Parliament. Um, and, and there are some swinging new rules about CO2 emissions coming in, which is actually going to cost most manufacturers in Europe millions of euros because they can't actually meet them in time. So, you know, there is a lot, there's a lot of, of, of expenditure required by, um, Water manufacturers have been moved to alternative fuel sources. They're in a state of flux, and you know they, they, they're all looking for money. As much as as AMG, as uh, say they're trying to save one billion, you know I think it's very. I, I can't believe that we'll, 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 the conversation we have this time next year about Aston Martin, regardless of what they're doing in F1, in in hypercar, in road cars, I can't believe they won't have been bought by someone or invested heavily in by someone. The thing about Aston Martin is they have. The second most recognisable brand name and and 
by many ways the most admired brand name in the motoring world. So they have a, an asset which any second to Ferrari actually, would you be seeing? Second to well, it comes out above Ferrari in some perceptions. It comes out above Ferrari in the overall brand name. Behind it in cars, if that makes sense. Um, and don't forget, Aston Martin about to get a huge hit of PR positiveness in April when the next Bond film comes out. And never underestimate what that does for it. So, you know, Absolutely. the fact is the brand is is <clears throat> well, it's not, not invaluable, but it has a huge value. And that is why someone will come in and take them back under their wing. And I'm sure they have a very intelligent um, uh, managing director who I'm sure know whilst being independent and, and British is great. You know, being under a massive a wing of a company that's got some interest in you, and like Ford all that time ago, be it be it be it Chinese, be it you know, a you know, be it AMG, be it whatever. Maybe, but I just think it, it makes it, you, there's, there's no way Aston Martin's going away because the name's worth too much. So well, if you look back at the history, themselves. yeah, if you look back at the history of Aston Martin, it has been that we are in the most stable. Uh, we are in the most stable period for Aston Martin in terms of ownership that certainly it's had, I would think probably in its existence, certainly in my lifetime of, of following it, it, it went through a huge amount of, of uh, problems and ownership changes, which quite frankly would have finished many other brands, um, probably would have finished 10 other brands. Uh, and, since Andy Palmer's been there and put a steady hand on the tiller, they have had a good financial provenance and been able to expand. Remember, seven cars, seven new cars in seven years is what Andy is delivering right now. And they've done five. Have they done four or five? can't remember. The, the mid-engine sports car um, to come out, Next yeah. year, but they've, but they've the got D the big one out now. They've got the big one. That's what's going to be the DBX. Yeah. Anyways, uh, we're we're strange. Uh, my point is, are we? I don't I'm not actually sure we are strange, to be honest, John, because it's it, it, this whole mass. It, it's it, interconnected. Yeah, we we love to think that sport is pure and exists on its own, but F1 it's and in fact, no, if there's, there's what is what is what sport is left now in motorsport which doesn't have manufacturer involvement in some way? Perhaps BTCC where they're silhouettes, but they get no cash from the actual manufacturers. But everyone else has got. It's all about the manufacturers, and, and all the manufacturers are at massive crossroads, which is obviously the reason why the announcement at Daytona last week was so important because it takes away an element of of confusion and adds an element of amortisation to an investment. And we'll be talking about that later on. Yes, I agree about the interconnected nature of everything when it comes to the automotive industry, which is why I get as much information from talking to friends, colleagues on Auto Express and Auto Car and reading those fabulous publications when it comes to motorsport as I do from talking to people in the paddock. Because if you don't understand the psyche and the five or ten year plan or something sometimes even longer 20 year plan of an automotive manufacturer how are you going to understand how that relates to what will be relevant for them we talk about relevance a lot in motorsport well the, the relevance comes from the plans of the automotive manufacturer for their street cars and that's to me where all of this information becomes sort of put into the melting pot and it can be read several different ways let, let, we've put our take on it here but let's we're, we're not saying that this is the gospel truth and it will all happen that's not what we do here we're just trying to give a balanced slightly balanced 
slightly more balanced, perhaps, view of, of the situation as we see it. Anyway, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It is uh, Series 15, Episode 4. I'm down under, uh, where it is just before 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, coming up to 10 to 9 at night, back in the UK. Uh, hello to uh, Kevin Payne. Have we got time to talk about two strokes in Formula 1, Tim? No. Okay, shall we do that in a later programme? If you really must, yes. I thought that I'd... Oh, we've mentioned it briefly before and decided it was not going to happen, hadn't we? Well, I didn't say that. I've got... Okay, but fine. Well, well, we'll do some we'll do some more research on that, Kevin. I'd spectatement if you would like to get in touch. Big day here at Bathurst with the Tractor Town event coming in. And I'm trying to find a way that you'd be able to listen to that live because I think 99.3 B-Rock the Rock of the West, uh, will be broadcasting live from outside the Town Hall building here. Uh, And they do have an online presence. Uh, They're good friends of ours. They broadcast the race on FM around the greater area of Bathurst, all the way down to Lithgow. They let us take over their FM during the race. So you uh, might be able to listen to that later on. We'll have some reports from it uh, later on as well. The Sound Uh, of the West, you say? The Rock of the West. The Rock of the West. Rock of the West, yes. Which, which West are we talking about, given that Australia extends for another 4,000 kilometres west of Bathurst? It's the central west of New South Wales is where we are. That's what it's called. Okay. That's quite a lot. The mouth of the Rock of the Central West of New South Wales, <laughs> FM. So that's why it's just the <laughs> Rock of the West. Even to Mildura is 1,000 kilometres. Yeah, d- Australia is a place that has a lot of big places in it that need defining within themselves, not just within the country. It's All about territory. Yeah, it's about territory, it's about state, etc. So there you go. Uh, let's move on. Where would you like to go next after that? I was saying in Formula Thank 1. Great. Right, oh, um, who wasn't demoted last year? Who wasn't demoted? Yes. What, driver or Driver, what? yes. Uh, Antonio Giovinazzi. Incorrect. Oh, okay. I mean, he um, wasn't, but it's not the story we're looking for. Roman Grosjean. Also not the story we're looking for. Uh, Valtteri Bottas? No. Nope. Um, don't know, you have to tell me then. Uh, it was um, Pierre Gasly. Oh, right. Oh, that's a bit stupid. I'm going to have to give myself a good slap for not getting that one. Um, as he was demoted. It's a good point. <laughs> no, it it wasn't a demotion. It was a blossoming, and it was incredible," said uh, Helmut Marco. Really? Uh, was oh, it? It, 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 Helmut's having a lovely time because obviously he's the only person whose phone's still switched on this month. All the rest of it actually designing cars and doing stuff. So Helmut's kind of going. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, do, do you remember the Monty Python sketch um, where the guy is, is trying to run a, uh, a a mountain climb to Everest, but he's got this situation where he sees two things that has to put his hand two over things. his eye each time ah so you're two doctors so yeah, sick, yeah. so and i was thinking how marco like sticking his hand over his bad eye and then just spouting some rubbish in a kind of john cleesian way because that's that's really what it's it's about isn't it Cause he just he, he's had a great week he's been telling us that no one's more mature than max verstappen and uh, which is which is patently not true many things max Verstappen may be he's not very mature he's particularly petulant when he was 15 he the... had the uh, maturity of a 20 year old according to uh well, why is he aggressive? <laughs> <laughs> is he about to climb the twin peaks of Kilimanjaro? Yes, exactly. I'm glad you are. You're with me now. Excellent. Yeah. Yes. Oh, no, I, oh the twin. Yeah. Uh, and, Remember, uh, yeah. 
that that explained at the end of that sketch. It was all exp- explained a lot when he said, "Yes, well, that explains a lot about my brother who was about to build a bridge between them," which I thought was the <laughs> greatest point of that whole sketch. Anyway, moving on. Uh, we before the show started, we were having a quick chat, just catching up on things. And any time that Helmut Marko is the most quoted person in Formula One, Nick, you you tend to get a bit worried about, don't you? Well, it, it, it just means that there hasn't been any actual real news. So then, then of course, literally without two minutes to go, you found some real news. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a helmet's helmet. He's, he's in many ways, much as he does speak total and utter boulder dash, he is very good because he keeps things ticking over. Uh, and he gives a chance for people to argue on, um, uh, social media sites. They're not, of course, the massive argument Rubens Barrichello caused on social media by, by stating that Lewis Hamilton was better than Shumi and Senna. God mm. dear, that was a likely little touch paper walk back and uh, watch it go off, wasn't it, Rubens? <laughs> well, Rubens is probably the one who knows best. In fairness, yes. Um, so, uh, has he, he's obviously the fellow Paulista in uh, Senna and a, a long-term teammate in Michael Schumacher, but yeah. I loved it. Somebody said, well, this great quote, how can you say that about them when they're not able to defend themselves? <laughs> it's like, yes. what, what has that got to do with anything? There's lots of other drivers who could defend them. Uh, Senna um, uh, was such good friends with Rubens that when uh, Senna moved to Williams, he uh, never went uh, to Williams Hospitality in between sessions. He always went to Jordan Hospitality. Uh, so Gasly uh, like the Messiah has risen again according to uh, Dr Marco thank God for him well yeah I mean in fairness Pierre did put in a good second half of the season after a bad first half of the season Um, it'd be really interesting to see how Alex Albon does with a proper run at it because it is true that Gasly had a far more difficult Red Bull in those first seven six seven races they didn't get on top of the aero regs uh, and by then he was kind of browbeaten down. He, he moved back to Toro Rosso and, and, and looked very, very good again. Whereas Albon also made a number of mistakes, but, but he had the ability by the time the car had improved and he was slightly more decisive in traffic, I think just slightly freer to get the car, to haul the car back up to where it should be, which was fifth and sixth overall. Because again, we had this massive cavernous gap between the third team and the fourth team. Now you've got to think, Genuinely, you've got to think that the cavernous gap will come down, or at least come down this season as, uh, McLaren, Renault and everyone else improves, have more to shoot out in a completely static set of regulations than the other teams do. So you would hope, therefore, that just being in a Red Bull, Ferrari or Mercedes would not guarantee you a top six place if you have a dodgy qualifier or make a mistake. Uh, and that will make it a lot more interesting to see how these drivers do when they actually are, are pushed slightly. Uh, which driver is weak? Oh, gee. Who said it? Fernando Alonso. Oh, he, he said, he Lewis, said Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton had weaknesses, he said, didn't he? Yes. Yes. He did. What I liked was, he said, Lewis Hamilton has these weaknesses that I'm going to exploit when I get back in F1. Well, he said What's that no one, no one's exploited them yet. Well, he didn't, did he, in 2007, when he actually didn't, couldn't beat him when he was a rookie, and he was a double world champion. So I think Fernando's on very dodgy ground with, I am, I am considerably faster than you, Lewis. Um... You know, it, it's a great PR. Keep yourself in the spotlight. Still searching for a drive next year. You know, well, might happen. There's a rumor. There's a rumor going around that he may go back to Renault again, and and Ricardo may go back to Red Bull. But these are all may may happens. But um, guys, who has gone back to Renault? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Who has gone back to Renault? 
Uh, Pat, Lin, so Pat Fry is correct. Has yes. he? Yes. Hmm. Let's hope he's more careful with his phones there. Yes, good point. Uh, which Moving other team has been strengthening itself technically this week? Williams. Yeah. Williams have hired people. Um, they found Which a YTS, they found a YTS boy, um, <laughs> uh, and uh, he apparently is now going to be head of aerodynamics. And as they're an equal opportunity employer, they also found a really nice uh, girl in in year six who's who's going to, who's going to run the engine engine uh, and gearbox uh, development team. Do you know their names, Nick? Uh, Beryl and Trevor. I, I, I have read the article, and they are people who are quite well known, and they, and, and they are taking over the vehicle dynamics and, uh, and design team. Um, I'm you know, being very unkind to, to, uh, to, t- to uh, team awful Williams, but they've got a lot to prove. Do you know, we got so close to doing proper Formula One journalism tonight. I got a couple of quick tweets about it as well. Rob Jana says, loving the <laughs> proper intelligent discussion about the Mercedes story. <laughs> Informed discussion, good stuff. Uh, I know we have a lot of fun on the team, uh, but the in-depth analysis and quality journalism is peerless in motorsport. I'm not sure about that, Dave, but thank you uh, for that. Michael Denny says, great F1 discussion tonight. I personally think Mercedes is heading out of F1. They have nothing left to prove. Yes, they might be uh, wise spending uh, for marketing dollars, but politically it's just not right at the moment. Also, wherever Toto goes, surely Lewis will follow. Ferrari? Question mark can't imagine Toto going to Ferrari. I just don't see that working as um, a personality. Do you, Nick? No. No, I think Toto's got other things, uh, other priorities. Um, He's got a family as well now. He wants to stay at home more, I reckon. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, put it this way, Toto isn't going to be out of work and he isn't going to be short of a very well-paid, very high-profile gig if he wants to take it. Lewis may well decide to go Ferrari, which would be a massive challenge for him. Obviously, they, they've got... They've got they can give him a money bath worth of cash, but he's got he's got to beat Charles Leclerc, who will have at least two years under with his feet under the table. So, be interesting. Be interesting to see what he can do. Uh, I can quickly go back to Red Bull, and one of yeah, the reasons it. that um, Gasly wasn't demoted, um, or was wasn't demoted, but also wasn't uh, got rid of completely. Um, as so many Red Bull drivers had been in the past, uh, was because they had a shortage of young drivers. Yes. Mm. Uh, and that shortage is being addressed uh, with the signing of the Napalm Formula 4 uh, vice champion, Jack Crawford. 14-year-old American. So he's, he's, he actually can't get into F1 for four years, because you have to be 18 now, regardless. Um, so he's, uh, he's building up. Yeah, I mean, Red Bull have completely... Um, I say mismanaged is a bit unfair, but certainly left huge holes in their junior program. Hence the fact that uh, three of their four drivers have been rehired by them, and the fourth one was never actually in their junior program. So, um, you know, it's uh, yeah, it's it's that sort of that hire and fire which seems which has produced one very successful graduate in uh, uh, Sebastian Vettel, one reasonably successful graduate in, in Danny Ricciardo, and 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 a lot of people who did two years and are now doing particularly well in Formula E, but you know, it's, it's questionable about the level of the success, and and they have churned a bit too much, and they've not sat with people long enough, but um, you know, they, they 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 the point about it is, of course, they have two, they have four F1 seats, they can, they, can, they can with a few quid employ anybody they want. Uh, also in the Rebel Junior team, continuing there is Yuri uh, Vips, who did Super Formula last year. He's from Estonia. Yes, he did. He, he took over only at the end, didn't he, to replace 
Dan, and then Pat Pat O'Wall, who came and went. Um, uh, Urivis is pretty good, actually. He's he has. I think he's got. He's got. He's probably got a reasonable chance of making it. Um, And they also have Yuki Tsunoda, who uh, is Japanese and uh, was the 2018 Japanese Formula Four champion. Yeah, I mean, obviously, a Japanese driver being good enough would be absolutely fantastic for them um, with the, with the Honda uh, tyre. But I don't think, unlike in previous Honda um, uh, generations where the second team had to carry a Japanese driver because they had to carry a Japanese driver, I don't think that would be the same with with, with Red Bull and Toro Rosso. And finally, um, more Japanese Formula One news uh, because they've changed the start time for the Japanese Grand Prix. Yeah, they put it back an hour. I think they're worried about um, the possibility that it rains. It, it get, it, the race ends up running too close to darkness because of the way the um, uh, the time zones are. So they've actually decided that if it does rain and the race runs you know, half an hour long because of that, they want to make sure there's actually some actual natural light at Suzuka. So they put it back an hour? Yes, it's earlier. Pr- earlier. Earlier. Oh, the, I, I mean also the was confused by Nick's terminology, but I understand what he yes. means. It's going to start at 13.10 local instead of 14.10 local. Right, yes. okay, so they brought it forward an hour. Yes. Right. It's you know, they're starting at the same time I? as Mexico. It's not, because they're in completely different time zones. If they had been in the same time as then, they'd start at the same time. Yes. Okay, that's not confusing at all. <laughs> uh, that's the first hour done and done. So close to being really, really adult this week. Uh, but you don't expect that from us. Uh, coming up in the second hour. Come on, Midweek Motorsports. And is there any chance you could bring some dessert to the VO booth, please? Uh, keep your tweets coming, please. At Specutainment, a lot of uh, Formula One chat and bikes chat. Let's have your views on Rossi, on Hamilton, on Mercedes. Uh, and let's have your views on Convergence, too. We'll be talking about the IMSA and ACO uh, announcement that was made last week. We've got some Bathurst news uh, as well. And I'm sure Tim has got something up his sleeve too. Johnny Farmer and Shea Adam will be joining me on the veranda here uh, in Bathurst for the second half of tonight's programme before we have breakfast and then slip off to see the cars. All 39, however many of them there are, coming down into the city centre. And we'll bring you more news of that later on. But coming next, it's Convergence. Sport. On RS1. And now, from Norwich, it's the Quiz of the Week. And some sad news to report, unfortunately, John. Yes, indeed. Uh, the death yesterday of uh, Nicholas Parsons, the uh, original host of Sale of the Century, the quiz show which inspired our very own Dale of the Century. Uh, He was 96. And today's top prizes include this selection of domestic items. There's a sandwich toaster there, a coffee machine, a drinks dispenser, a tea maker, then a range of cookware in tangerine with saucepans, casseroles, 
Blast that microwave oven and many other items. But now, let's meet the man who asks the questions and pays out the money. Nicholas Parsons. Uh, Do you know what? Do you know what? He presented uh, on the BBC radio just a minute for the whole of its 50-odd-year run and was just as sharp and just as funny in the last one that he did as the first one. Mm. And an an absolute consummate professional uh, in the entertainment and broadcasting world. And would, Nick Damon, that we would all be doing this in another... 35 years time to make oh, it our God, fi- series 50 fabulous fabulous man i mean and it really interesting i really, by coincidence i actually ended up having a conversation last last week when i was in uh, spain with some with some young whippersnappers in their late 20s about what a tease made was how'd you explain it to them <laughs> <laughs> what about that tangerine cookware Oh, I, I, uh, I, I, I was I was slightly concerned we didn't find whether you know, we, we, I, normally it was a, a, a Rover, a, sorry, mini city, wasn't it? That was, was the main uh, prize. Mini metro. I mean, yeah, obviously for yeah. Dan of the Century, we have about a dozen different variants of this. We've got one with a three-piece suite, which is in green <laughs> with a rose motif. We have the dinghy <laughs> with uh, onboard oh. flotation devices, which uh, I'm sure will be to your liking. It was, it was always these guys. Yeah, There's it, a Talbot Samba. Yeah, these Tom couple Samba, right, oh, yes. living on a council estate in in, uh, in Bognor who suddenly found they want a speedboat. You know, I'm going to do that. I love the way I love the way the voiceover man said that. And uh, and among the prizes this week, a microwave. It was just said microwave. I just remember this was 1982. Well, that was fantastic. top tactic, 82. Uh, do I we have time know. for a Bathurst celebratory edition of Dale of the Century? I th- do you know what? I think we absolutely should do it. Uh, well, our contestants tonight on uh, Dale of the Century are Nick Damon in Milton Keynes. Hello, everybody. And somebody in Bathurst. Who would you like to play in Bathurst? Well, I'll do it. Because I'm do. sitting here with the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> as, as you've got the microphone well, could, and you're not giving it I, up. I, 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 I could just walk. I could walk to the end of the drive and, you know, probably still the, the Wi-Fi here would work and just buttonhole somebody <laughs> on William Street or something well, like that. I'm Johnny sure they would can help stuff. you uh, with your guessing. The first item right, is a uh, 1 to 12 scale Audi R8 LMS uh, as raced at uh, the Bathurst 12 hours. This is number 37. Is, is this first. in an auction or just for sale somewhere? Uh, these are currently on uh, a popular internet auction site. Oh, okay. All right, okay. okay. He's just pulled out Bathurst specific stuff. Okay. Um, I'm going to go. What, what scale did you say it was? 1 to 12. 12 scale. Uh, £25. £25, says John. Nick? £57.26. The point goes to Nick Damon. It's uh, currently on sale at £322.09. Really? He didn't. Uh, so hang on. So that's obviously built by somebody special. It's, just, it's like not a just a spark job, bottle or something like that, is it? Uh, let's move on to a number two. <laughs> this Go is on. the uh, this is an oversized watch, right? Uh, from TW Steel, the oversized watch company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is the nine nine eight Red Bull Holden Bathurst Special Edition. Uh, right. Nick can go first this time. Four hundred and fifty pounds. Four hundred and fifty pounds, says Nick Damon. John, I think three seventy-five. Uh, John gets a point. It's uh, two hundred and fifty-nine pounds and fifty-five oh, pence. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. 
next, uh, a helmet signed by Peter Winterbottom and Steve Richards. Full Ooh. size? Uh, it's a full size helmet. Uh, I suspect it was worn by uh, Peter Winterbottom because it's in his colours. Uh, so we'll get John to Peter go first on this one. Is that what I said? Peter Winterbottom. Is what it, that I is say? what you said. Okay, no, no, you said Peter Winterbottom. That's yes. fine. Um, okay, um, I'm going to say £500. £500 for John. Nick? I'm going to say £600. John gets a point. It's only oh, £307.54. Okay. Really? Mm. Damn, okay. You might want to... Uh, so two more to go. Nick to go first on this one. This is uh, a 1/18th scale, okay. 1969 Holden Monaro, right, signed so by Peter Brock. Oh, uh, 111 pounds and 11 pence. John, 150 pounds. John gets a point. 561 oh, pounds and 75 pence. Uh, I've never won a round of deal pounds. of the century. I have never won a round of deal of the century. Well, you might do tonight. Play uh, tribute to my favourite broadcasters and, and do it at Bathurst, and I'm at Bathurst. I'm in with a shout here. A 2002 Peter Brock jacket, size right. large. And well, worn by him or just his his bang? I, it doesn't have any certificate of authenticity. 30 um, quid. 30 quid, says Nick. John? 50 quid. Another point to John. Oh, no! It's on sale for £494.14. pence. Oh, why? Uh, Let's do one more, because I can't okay, lose one more. now. Well, <laughs> you've won already, but can you win by five points to one? Let's see, or will it's Nick make so it 4-2? Uh, this is a signed and framed print uh, of the 2015 uh, V8 Supercar uh Winner Craig Lowndes. Uh, I'll go first on this. I think that's £125. And Nick Damon? £200. Sorry, can you repeat that, Nick? £200. £200. Nick gets the point. £257.47. And the reason I kept saying, by the way, the reason I kept saying Peter is it's surely it was Mark Winterbottom. It was Mark Winterbottom. Yeah, you said Winterbottom. I've no clue. I have no clue. But I did give you the opportunity. You should have just said Frosty. Uh, Dave Alcock says, did you know the voice announcing It's the Quiz of the Week was John Benson who did the voiceover for all 11 years of Sale of the Century. I did that as well. Uh, And Nick... Peter Winterbottom played Rugby Union. Yeah, just just like myself. It's Rugby Union, yeah. Uh, Nick Holland says, wonderful to hear the uh, tribute to Nicholas Parsons. Go on to the BBC iPlayer um, and listen to more uh, and hear about his passion, Nicholas Parsons, his passion for timepieces, which was, he was absolutely, he was a watch geek. He was fabulous at, when he was talking about it and as as animated about that as he was when he was doing the shows. They, they broke the mould and there'll not be another one. A bit like uh, when we lost Humphrey Littleton from... Doom, I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. Although Jack D has been a brilliant, brilliant substitute. I'll not say replacement. I've got no clue how who they're going to find to do. Um, just a minute. Nicholas Parsons, who died uh, yesterday. Our little tribute to him here on Midweek Motorsport. 
Where to next, Tim? Monte Carlo. All right. Uh, last week on the show, we had a very good reception to our preview of the 2020 World Rally Championship season. Uh, yes. So we will get Ben Conte. rally in coverage. <laughs> back again. Not just but that, because I, that was because uh, I wasn't on the show, wasn't it? You sneaked it in. We well, you will go in. We we went for thirty-five minutes on it, Nick. Oh my god! Uh, it was no, Nick. It was very good with a man who actually ben knew what he was very, talking about. That was and man who was about to stand on the end of stages and talk to rally drivers. And, and I watched a bit of Ben's stuff. He did really, really well. Of course, he did because he's he's a consummate professional. Uh, My my WRC quote of the week uh, goes to Stefan Sarazan. Right. Who, uh, when uh, he got to the end of, I think, stage four and uh, pulled up to the line, uh, his door was opened, the microphone was thrust in front of him, and he said, you're a Le Mans guy. You're that Le Mans guy. (laughs) It's fantastic. That that was brilliant. That was absolutely brilliant. Uh, so come on, let's quickly run through what happened on the Monty. Uh, so uh, reigning World Rally Champion Ert Tanak crashed on day one. Oh, hang on, stop! You can't ju- understand that wasn't a, that he. Uh, you seen this, Nick? Have you seen the footage? Yeah, yeah, I think on board and off board. It's scary on board, and you think, when is it ever going to stop? But when you see how high he got off the ground, it looks like something that's been staged for a movie that you would have said, oh, that never happened. They've completely overplayed that. Look, it's been fired out of a cannon over those trees. That was extraordinary. Weird thing is how innocuous the error was. Mm. Mm. It goes to show, doesn't it, how quick those cars are going nowadays. I mean, we all talk it with with great reverence uh, about Group B uh, and how great those cars were. Um, the, uh, These cars are better because the, they're just as spectacular and uh, less deadly. Yes. Moving on. Uh, rally was won by Thierry Nerville. Well done, Thierry. Uh, it's the first time since 2006 that someone not called Sebastian has won a WRC round in Monte Carlo. <laughs> okay. Shall we talk convergence now? Yes. Right, let's... I'm going to pull some chairs around. Can we get Shea and Johnny out into the fresh air? Nick, stay with us on this, because I think this is quite important. Uh, last, thir- last Friday at, um, at Daytona, the SEO and the... Uh, IMSA announced their uh, plans to basically bring the top class of sports car racing together, or at least partially. And I'm sure you've all heard the announcement now. There's more details to come. Um, So let's have a little quick discussion about this, and then we'll talk some Bathurst as well. But before we let Nick go, Nick, I haven't had a chance to talk to you about this. Let's, Let's have some of of your thoughts. We've talked about this travelling backwards and forwards to places for a very long time. Um, I'm, we talk about it being common sense, but not always everything with common sense in, in motorsport happens. It's, I've been reliably informed that whilst talks have been going on for a very long time, this actually only came together in about the last four weeks. 
which is extraordinary that it's that it's been put together so quickly in terms of the detail that we did did get. Um, but ultimately, Nick, it had to happen, didn't it? Well, I think it's you know oddly it goes right back to what we talked about at the beginning of the show in that motorsport is about manufacturers and motorsport is unfortunately well fortunately unfortunately it's about money and mm. you know if you're going to get a, a manufacturer to invest in motorsport these days there has to be a return that investment be, be be it pr which is obviously you know both the races it can go to and where it compete the the fact you can use a hybrid motor which whether you think they're actually plus or minus it's just the, the, the as we talked about it's all about the politics it has to be some sort of hybridization to make it seem relevant and then you say to them, right you're going to design a really really expensive sports car but you can only use it in america or you can only use it in wc mm. and they go hang on what no, hang on no what why well sports car racing yeah, 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 yeah. and so yeah i mean i think it's it's a remarkable outbreak of common sense i didn't realize it come together so late i wonder you know not very many much, people did how much that was down to the fact we now have John Doon in charge. I don't know whether that was anything at all to do with it, but it's uh, interesting. You know, perhaps it was a little bit more, you know, give and take on that side. Um, and it does, even though it's very sketchy, the outline, it does seem like a very, very good way of encouraging as many of the manufacturers possible to come to the table, talk about how it can be achieved. You know, I think, I think let's be really honest about this. The, the lack of a stampede of people leaping into IPA car I'm sure influenced this. Um, you know, they, they, they've got Toyota and they've got Peugeot in 17 or 18 years' time. I can't remember who it was. And Aston Martin, who we've just discussed long and hard about, whilst I'm sure they've made all the commitments they can, you could say they are in a state of flux permanently. So what could happen there in Glickenhaus? So, you know, it, it, it's an incredibly um, sensible, oh, blimey, balanced, uh, egalitarian uh, concept and you know I think Pierre Filon and John and, and the rest of the gang should feel very very pleased about it. the the only thing that went through my mind I'm really honest with you about it the only negative I could see was if we got the same situation we have in Le Mans Test Day when these people all turn up from various different countries and sandbag to get the best BOP um, and that was the only thing that, that I went oh god we're not going to have BOP wars again are we but apart from that on a financial um, and of course the absolutely key thing for Le Mans which is activation side it's uh, it's all win 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 John you're still there we lost John we we may have lost John I, I, I didn't think I said something so brilliant that he couldn't reply <laughs> John is yeah. definitely still connected. Oh, strange. Perhaps he's having a, a good conversation with himself. Um, yeah, well, I think, yeah, just to sum up, I think, yeah, it is, it is a way of, you know, the, it, I'm sure that the, the, the main manufacturers who are, who are running at Daytona, Mazda, uh, Acura and, and Cadillac would all love to go to Le Mans. Um, and this now presents them with a way of doing that with a, you know, with, without the reinvestment in a car, I guess you may have to you know, do a different aero kit and that sort of thing, which makes the whole thing a, a much, much more viable business decision. And in many ways makes developing the whole sports car more viable. Carrying on in IMSA becomes more viable because you've got this massive, you've got two massive cherries now. Uh, cherry one being the Daytona 24 hours, and then five months later you have Le Mans. So it's a, a real... Um, benefit on that front and you know, and, and i think that's why it was, it was accepted with such open arms it's, and yeah and that has been a long period of time you know where it's been been discussed and talked about 
Um, but finally, to get it over the line um, is, is, is really good. One thing that I saw suggested on Twitter, and obviously it's only going to work if future calendars are the same as this year's calendar, is for a team to use exactly the same car to do the WC race at Sebring and the IMSA race at Sebring over that same week. Do you think that is something that's possible, Nick? Um, well, it will be very worn out, but we've done less than 24 hours. I'm sure they probably might have the same people, but uh, whether they would uh, uh, decide to um, run the same chassis is is, is, is is less likely. You could run effectively in the same, same team, certainly in the same garages, because they actually run separate garages. But yes, you would have exactly the same car. The, you know, the, I don't know, the, the Cadillac DC Oblico 1 would be, you know, running it in both. But I'm sure, it would be, you know, for just practical reasons, they'd have two different ones. Uh, John, are you and uh, others in Bathurst back with us? Apparently not. We'll uh, we'll try uh, try once more and see if uh, we can get John back to us. Uh, can you hear us, John? Uh, still nothing from. Uh, John in Bathurst. I better fire the Bathurst entry list then, really. <laughs> uh, I'm sure he's desperate to say about four thousand things because he obviously is such a um, a key announcement. Something that has been, you know, how many years has been talked about? I mean, certainly, I think it, with DPI initially, the first version of DPI we have now, um, you know, was one of the problems they have was it just wouldn't get accepted into. Um, ACO class rules it's because kind of, it sat in that halfway house between um, LMP1 and LMP2 because it used a repurposed LMP2 chassis and different engines which caused it outside the LMP2 uh, rules as they were but they also would have needed an awful lot of help to get themselves into LMP1 so it's a uh, um, yeah an interesting yeah, yeah, I think, I think, I think yeah, you only got trailed by a day. So I think, as John said, you know, this is a, a last-minute thing. There was no, no, well, if we knew the conversations, there was no sign of this happening until, you know, the day before when the rumours spun around massively quickly. And uh, it it it, uh, it happened in, in, in Daytona in the last Thursday. We'll give uh, this connection to Bathurst one more ch- No, that's gone again. Okay, we'll uh, move on. And, Where are we going? Uh, well, let's talk about uh, the Bathurst uh, 12 Hours, which is coming up this weekend. You'll For which I hear. am completely unprepared. <laughs> Me too. You'll be able to hear it all <laughs> here on uh, uh, RS1 on the Radio Show Limited network. If you look at uh, radiolon.com, you'll see the schedule at the bottom of the page, uh, giving you times of all the practice and qualifying sessions uh, in your own time zone. And there'll be video coverage uh, on the website for everyone outside of Australia and New Zealand uh, of qualifying or the top 10 shootout and also the full race. Uh, Those of you in Australia, you get uh, proper TV coverage of it as well. Uh, John uh, and Johnny and, of course, Richard Crail will be commentators across the weekend. Uh, they'll be joined in the pit lane by uh, Shay Adam and uh, uh, Neil Crompton, a former 
Bathurst winner is joining the pit lane team this year. So a bit of star quality on the uh, Sunday. Not that everyone else isn't a star. Uh, One-stop stars. All all stars, yes. Uh, And if you didn't hear it uh, this morning, uh, European time, which would have been last night in Australia, uh, after this show tonight, we're going to repeat... uh, Heinzie and Crowley's Bathurst walkabout. Uh, so 39 cars on the entry list, uh, Nick, uh, including uh, reigning champions uh, and lots of other stars from the past. Uh, and uh, every car could be a winner, Nick. Yeah, I think it's um, it's an interesting situation. because I, yeah, I, I'll be honest with you, this is a race which I kind of um, you know, watched the start of, obviously because it starts what six in the morning um australian time which is what about uh eight nine o'clock our time in the uk and i kind of watch the first hour and a half and then when i go to bed and when i wake up again it's over um but it is um the, the, the quality of the field seems to just grow every year it is getting more and more of course um gt3 centric and that i know there was a conversation previously on the show about is that taking away the spirit of the event you know because it was obviously a you know even when um RSL started doing it. it was a horrendously multi-class you know there was, there was lots of very small slower cars and now there's really what um, only a couple of GT4s and, and four in the four mark mark cars and the rest is you know GT3 so in many ways it's becoming the southern, the southern hemisphere uh, 24 hours of spa but you kind of you, you stroll down the names obviously you know but because of our very close um, uh, as part of the group our very close interface with gtd racing both with preventic and obviously with the level of gtd and also you know with the same drivers turning up in uh, in wec and the lms i mean it's uh, it's a, it's a yeah i think a star star team is star cast is an understatement you know, you, I just the first car off, off the pack is El Bamba motorsport but you know unlike in preventic where it's his brother and a couple of mates it's now it's El Bamba or Lawrence van Toren. and they've, they've pulled in a third driver to join um, the Bamthor team and that's, yeah, that's a, something a, a bloke craig, craig lounge. Lounge. so apparently craig does apparently know his way around the, the mountain um which is which is impressive um, and then you look at uh, car number two and it's got another van Toren in it uh, yes. with Dries, uh, alongside Frederick Vervish and Christopher Hauser. Yeah, so yeah, it, it, it is kind of like, if, if you are in any way into GT3 racing, as, as we, well, everyone appears to be, isn't it? It, this does appear to be the, the creme de la creme now, and it's, and it's strange that they seem to be able to improve each, uh, each year in, in what's going on. Um. Shall we? Shall we? Shall we take on a bit of another world issue that's going to affect motorsport, Tim? China. China. Can we talk about China. China. Well, yes. I mean, I, you know, I think yeah. We, I think that we're going to try and get the boys back in Bathurst to talk about Bathurst because me, me stubbing through an entry list is not particularly entertaining. Though much less entertaining me. Um, you know, the the, the we have the you know, as, as we, I'm sure everyone who's listening knows we have the uh, the coronavirus, which is not related to 1970s soft drinks in any way whatsoever. Um, and that is putting a number of, um, you know, motorsport events um, at risk. At risk. Um, the F1 race is not until um, April, um, April the seventeenth, I think it is. It's, it's a way away. Yeah. Um, but, but the Formula E race it's is a month earlier. Is the twenty twentieth of March. Now, it's interesting because uh, I'm not sure you're aware of this, but British Airways um, have. Um, cancelled all their flights 
for the next two weeks. They've also put the, all the flights to the end of February on hold, which is uh, kind of affecting. We don't think it's going to come back. Um, so it seems to be very, very likely that both of those events, because, it, because there's no sign yet that the, that they've got to peak infection yet. So it's, it's, it's very likely that the Chinese, uh, mainland will be kind of, well, I think, you know, not locked down, but, but, but be under a no fly, no visit rule, um, at that period of time. And that is going to mean that we're going to, that, that, that certainly the, the Sanya, uh, Ypres, even though Sanya obviously is a, is a, is nowhere near, um, where the, uh, infection has started, uh, will, will not happen. Because don't forget, whilst it's 2021st of March, the actual infrastructure has to be started, what, two, three, four weeks beforehand. So they need to know it's happening, really, by the, <laughs> for a street circuit, you need to know it's happening, what, a month earlier. So my guess is that certainly the Formula E event, and very, very probably, um, the F1 event will not happen. So we won't get our, our record calendar in F1 because we're going to lose a race again, uh, through very unfortunate circumstances. But it, it is, I think it's interesting, isn't it? How, you know, much as we like to think motorsport is kind of a, a little oasis of, of calm amongst the, the ills of the world. Um, we still get bitten by what, by the reality of, uh, of life in, in international travel. Uh, Neither the Formula E uh, event nor the Formula One uh, race weekend have officially been cancelled yet, uh, but one motorsport event in China has already definitely gone. That's the Chiang Mai Shan Rally, which was due to be uh, in two weeks' time, the 12th to the 14th of February. Yeah, uh, it's, it's really, really unfortunate. I mean, it, it, most of the Chinese international motorsport does come this, this sort of early part of the year prior to the European season. Um, as it, you know, it sits in, uh, well with, with, with flying schedules and also often people tend to, you know, people want to be out of Europe until it warms up. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult situation and, and, you know, it's, 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 obviously it's not the first time in history that events have been, uh, cancelled for various things like this. I mean, you know, we even lost, we lost an RAC rally many, many years ago for foot and mouth disease in the UK. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate and, and hopefully, obviously, we all hope that by, April, this uh, epidemic has, has blown over, and we're all, you know, you know, going about our ways as, as it would be. But of course, the fact is that it'll need to be clear, as I say, a long time prior to the events for the events to go on. Uh, how late do you think they'll leave it? That's a really good question. My my guess is that the Formula E race, which is a street circuit and therefore needs a huge amount of prep. I mean, it is China, so China perhaps are more prepared to do it on a, on a on a hope than a, than an actual promise. I think that the, they would probably, with the Marrakesh Grand Prix, literally the last part of February, they will need to know by that weekend. So the 27th, that's on the 27th, the 29th of February, the Marrakesh race weekend. So my guess is they will need to know then because what will happen, obviously, they won't send the, um, the trucks and everything, sort of the planes and the boats over to China. They'll just um, hop them back over to Rome. So it's a much easier run, uh, and it just it makes more sense. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's on that one. Again, four more will need a month, we'll need a month to build up because it gets everything coming over in advance and you've got all the structures and, the, and it's part of the, the hopping about the TV companies do. Um, with a, you know, and the thing to point out that at the moment there is a, a, in the UK, there is a advisory not to go there unless it's absolutely essential to China. And I'm afraid much we may not believe that a motorsport race is not absolutely essential. Uh, indeed. Uh, so more on that uh, as it uh, comes to us. Uh, 
Still trying to get hold of... Yeah, sorry, uh, I, I just heard some noise there. I thought it might, it might mean back and running. Well, so we'll which, give which, them which, one which, more which, chance to... Give them uh, another go, yes. See if we can get hold of them. Let's see, let's, this is, this is, what, 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 what I think has happened is that they, they, they found out the weaknesses that, that Alonso knows about Hamilton, but they've been cut off before they can tell us what they are. Because um, they're so top secret. Um, you know, I found out which weaknesses are. I've whispered in John's ear. John's going to tell us. Therefore, there's no way I'm going to have him on 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 a on a, a major uh, international podcast. John. No, still nothing from John. Can you hear me now, Tim? Oh. Can you hear me now? Did you hear something, Nick? I can hear him faintly in the background. Hello. Is he? Oh, he is. He's very faint in the background. Try shouting, John. Hello, Tim. Yes. Phew. Sorry about that. If, if, <laughs> if we give you another 40 decibels, I can just about hear you. Well, Nick's uh, supersonic hearing has uh, rescued that. I'm very sorry about, I'm very sorry about that. Um, I was trying to get the guys to um, be able to hear Nick's sage words on uh, convergence. If I turn the microphone up, you might be able to hear me a bit more now. Is that better? Uh, a little. All right, okay. Um, right, where were we? Thank you for filling, manfully. Let's get uh, let's get Shea back. Um, right, we were talking about how long this had taken to come together, why it had come together, uh, and all of that sort of stuff. And so we were very, we, everybody's very excited about it. The key thing for this, and, and Nick um, sort of um, sort of hit on it, Shea, is everybody that I've talked to says that as far as the American marketplace is concerned, manufacturers there tend to be a subsidiary or, you know, a, a separate company often from the parent company. And the kind of investment levels that we're talking about here for LMDH um, is the sort of thing that could be signed off quite easily, they are saying, by, by, a, national, uh, by a national entity, somebody like Toyota Racing Developments, who look after the Lexus thing, they're interested, Porsche North America uh, interested as well, because it's it's at the level that makes sense to them in terms of financial. And on a global scale too, which is the important thing. Looking at a race like Le Mans is one thing, and, and we frequently refer to Corvette Racing actually as our perfect example for that. Their entire global program is going to Le Mans. When you've got an opportunity to race at Le Mans and Daytona and Sebring and Petit Le Mans and Watkins Glen, all with the same car, it makes everything a lot more financially feasible to invest all that money to create a great race car. Now, the thing about that, though, is, Johnny, if you're going to do that, you've got to be sensible. I heard Nick, um, although they lost us, we could still hear them. I heard them talking about, you know, potentially running the same car at Super Sebring in two races. That isn't practical. That isn't practical. You just couldn't turn the car around after an eight-hour race on Saturday, Friday rather, for a 12-hour race on Sunday. But it's more than that. If you're going to do this, then and you want um, ACO teams, WEC teams, to come to Daytona, then you can't have a WEC race um, a week after somewhere else in the world. So there's going to have to be more than just talking about the convergence of technical regulations – You've got to think about how the calendars string together as well. And it's not just about things clashing. It's about the proximity. 
Yes, and, and it's difficult when you've got a, a winter season now, which the WEC is from the end of August through to Le Mans, dovetailing with a championship that's still traditional in the sense that it runs, okay, from January, but uh, otherwise, you know, it's through the summer through till Petit Le Mans. So, I mean, does that help or hinder the situation? Not quite sure. You might have a, you might actually have a round that is eligible for the, for example, the 2020 season, but is also then eligible for 1920 in another championship. So there's a little bit of complexity there. Um, but yeah, I, from an American point of view, for IMSA teams to be able to get involved in the ACO racing, it's great. I'm just not quite sure how it works in the reverse, because where does this leave hypercar, and also. Nobody's really spoken about the fact that those, those in charge of LMP2 haven't been able to equal the four chassis that have been involved in LMP2 to this point. So how are you going to equal completely different ideas of LMDH and hypercar, which we haven't got, quite got going yet, and the grandfathered cars as well? Mm. You know, when they, they can't actually make an Orica, uh, sorry, they can't make a Ligier or a Delara as quick as an Orica 07 in LMP2, and then they've been at that for two years. The other part of that announcement was, of course, which kind of got missed in all the excitement and furore about the top classes. These new chassis from the four manufacturers, Lucia, Delara, Orica and Multimatic, are going to be the new LMP2 chassis with a 10-year homologation. So that's 10 years of stability for those. That's, I mean, that's unheard of in modern racing. That's a bit like the um, Mazda Prototype Challenge cars that used to run in, in that series, John. If you remember, they were just sort of always there. And we finally had to write them out of the regulations when spare parts were running thin. The thing that Johnny just said that really struck me was how great it is for the IMSA teams to be able to run. Well, not really, because they already are complaining about the budgets being high from so many events in the prototype ranks. It's great for them to be able to go run Le Mans. But I can't see people going over and running Spa, for example, if the opportunity was there. You want your cars in the U.S. because you still have Mid-Ohio and Belle Isle, as it is right now, which that was my initial first thought. Well, we're not going to have prototypes at Belle Isle anymore because they'll need to be over in France for the test day. So oh, perhaps that point. becomes a GT race only with the D GTD cars, but that's for future reference. So what, but this goes back to what I was talking about. It's not just uh, the difficulty of getting a balance of performance it's it's a question of people sitting down and putting a calendar together that makes this work now don't get me wrong i'm not decrying this at all in lmp2 after a couple of years we'll know which as tim's just put on our chat here um they'll we'll know which one's the best and everybody will go for that i'm sure they'll be allowed to be upgrade kits during that 10 years it's slightly different with lmdh because as in dpi there will be bodywork and other parts of that car which will be customizable and therefore affect the performance of each of the different manufacturers who who want to come in. I still think the biggest thing here, and it was interesting, wasn't it, when the, 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 di the direct question was asked, JP, about hypercars coming to Daytona. And that was a question that John Doonan said, hmm, I haven't quite decided that yet. True. Um no, I don't know. I can't see another 24-hour race being accommodated within the World Endurance Championship because it's just not going to happen. You know, there is one 24-hour race as far as the ACO is concerned. I know you go back to the 60s and the World Sports Car Championship and Daytona and Le Mans were in there together, but this is a major brand now. And 
fine you have a thousand mile race you might even have a 12 hour race sneaking in there but the the keystone event double points on offer end of the season is a 24 hour race and i think they're never going to deviate from that um what you might well, do you not think that manufacturers let's say toyota toyota are building their hypercar um lmh Right. Well, they've, they've been putting Gazoo Racing have been putting renderings out and, and more than renderings out. You know, let's hope the Aston Martin thing doesn't get affected by everything else we're talking about. Glickenhaus definitely are doing this. So actually, let's lo- use Glickenhaus because Glickenhaus are great. They'd love to go to Daytona and run for the overall. They'd love to go to Sebring and run for the overall. And they would love to go to Petit Le Mans and run for the overall. So that now is available to them, provided that that car doesn't have to be in Mexico City you know, the next week after after Daytona or Kyle Army two weeks after, but you know, a week after Petit Le Mans. Yeah, I mean, what it does do is open the door for for non championship entries um, because all of a sudden everything is eligible for all types of car. So fantastic! I, I, I sort of see that IMSA will, their door will be slightly more ajar than the ACO to the one-off entries because the ACO have always hammered home that it's so important to get you know full season entries rather than just a sprinkling of meetings here and there. But I think Daytona could become yes open to, and I think Aston have, have you know further down the line talked about maybe the Valkyrie becoming a, available as a customer hypercar, so you can have privateer entities entering a Valkyrie. At Daytona, that will be very special. Glickenhaus, likewise. And the Toyota, if it ever emerges, I mean, I don't know whether Toyota now have thought about going the LMDH route by sticking a, a Toyota body on the top. That's a heck of a lot cheaper. Um, but there's no reason why Toyota in the States, Toyota Racing Development, um, whether probably with their Lexus brand, couldn't do an LMDH to run that in the U.S., and then take it to Le Mans as well. Except, of course, and this has been brought up already on um, on Twitter. Uh, let's let's quickly go through. Um, Dave Alcock says, "I hope all the organisation involved um, uh, will uh, not use uh, the rules to manipulate teams. Index of efficiency has a place. I loved all the Group C rules." Um, and Right Turn Lover says, "Just a reminder, right now, top class teams need to do." WEC to get a Le Mans invite, and that's 36 cars. That's more than half the grid. So the other thing about, by the way, combining events, you couldn't have that WEC field at Daytona because that would take up 36 places. As we know from the weekend, you can only run 60 cars. And even with a small, the smallest ever, 38-car field, that were already too many. So you're disappointing somebody somewhere. And if it's part of both championships, you simply you simply can't do that. But what's going to happen? With, uh? I, don't think, I, just don't I, think, I just think it's a non-starter. You just, you're not going to have a WEC paddock turning up for a round of the championship at the Daytona 24 hours. I, I, you know, I'm willing to be wrong on that in many years' time, but I think Sebring's a goer, and I think you could run Sebring as a combined race. No! No, no! no. I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, but they would... In 2012, that was d- done with two separate timing systems. This would be all together because you'd have you'd have IMSA LMDH cars, you'd have WEC LMDH cars, you could have IMSA hypercars. As I say, you know, Wayne Taylor goes the Valkyrie route. Why not? Hang on, hang on. Then you're talking about even more categories. Um, we're going to have... No, they're, all the same ca- they're all the same category. It's just they're eligible for different championships. Like when you go to Le Mans, 
Think of how many podium ceremonies you're going to have. Greg Kramer was there in a Sunday I'm morning. I'm in the bar by that point. That's fine. Can I, can I punch him, please? I'm, I'm having moments remembering the 2012 race. In the, in the Johnny's got a valid point, though. It's, LMP2. Hang on, Johnny. Go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Johnny's go ahead. got a valid point, because before, it was two races on the track at the same time, running to two different sanctioning bodies with two different timing systems. This is one race. It's the Daytona 500. Uh, sorry, Daytona 24 hours. It's organised it by IMSA, and everyone is running to IMSA's rules, IMSA's points, IMSA's timing and scoring. Right, well, it can't, it can't be IMSA because there's not enough places in the pits to, to put both championships. But let's say Sabring again. Uh, yeah, yes, that's fine if it's only a round of the IMSA championship. If it's a round of the WAC as well, then you're also awarding points in the WAC. You also then have to run for the WAC sporting regulations and tyre regulations. Now, it helps that Michelin is a tyre supplier for both. Absolutely. That makes a lot life, life easier. There's no need to change Super Sabring. Have it as two races, that's fine. Okay, so, so why is Daytona 24 hours a combined race absolutely fine with you two? It's not. It's not. So what, how, would you, how would you do it then? You'd have a 24-hour race uh, Thursday, Friday, and then another one Saturday, Sunday? No, 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 not at all. I'm not talking about... Uh, if, 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 if there is room on the grid and there are some wildcard entries that want to come across and race in IMSA, this gives them the opportunity. And, and by the way, not just in the top class, because there's GT Le Mans cars. Why don't GT Le Mans cars come across? There's already an ACO-compliant class within Daytona 24, but you don't see any of the WAC cars coming over. I just don't see it happening. I've never understood that, because the rules are already to get, you know, they're already joint, jointly converged. There's that word again. You know, convergence has happened between GTLM and GTE. I don't think there's any difference. So, yeah, why can't we have Aston's? You know, the Vantage AMR, why could that not have run at Daytona in the GTLM class? We only had seven cars. Would have been nice to have had another another four, let's say. Except they were all getting ready to go and do something else, probably. They're all on the way to Texas, aren't they, um, in a week's time, not two weeks' away. time. Not far away. Just lob them in a lorry at the end of uh, Daytona 24 and just drive them to Cota. It's not, you know, that's not, that's, in terms of mileage across the States, that's not a long way. Well, when the plans were made, they would have been going, they were thought they were going to Brazil, of course. It's about an 18 hour drive with speed yeah. limits. Here's the thing, and I, and I take what you're saying, Johnny. Why change a winning formula at, at Sebring? I think what it does do is it gives the opportunity for some teams to go to Le Mans from the States without having to do the WAC. Does it mean that we're going to see, in effect, more automatic entries from IMSA? from particular classes, from the top class, from the previous year's champions, uh, rather than the sort of entries at large that we have for the Truman Aitken uh, uh, award. That's a thought. But then again, we've still got oversubscribed Le Mans. So what, what, whenever, and I am not talking this down, I think it's huge. I think it's really important. I think it's really important for the WAC. And to go back to the genesis of this and seeing how quickly it came together. Remember a while ago, we talked about the three different factions within the FIA, WAC and ACO. You can't talk about that organisation as a single entity, whereas you pretty much can with IMSA. IMSA are in charge of their own destiny. You've got the FIA who have to have hybrid. That is their be-all and end-all. You've got to have hybrid in your top class, otherwise we're not going to let you be a world championship. You've got the ACO who want hypercar or some version of it. You want GT, something that looks like GT cars at the sharp end of the field. That's Pierre Fion's dream, to get back to that. You've got the LMEM, which is the, the 
people, Le Mans Endurance Management, who look after the World Endurance Championship on behalf of the other sanctioning bodies. At the head of that is Gerard Navour. What he wants is entries in his top class. He's a pragmatist. I'm guaranteeing you that if you'd asked Gerard Navour two years ago, three years ago, when the Porsche Audi thing started happening, um, would you have DPI right now? He would have said yes. Because he would have taken it right there and then. And ultimately, this is a pragmatic decision here to get more, a potential of more cars into the WEC. Question is, will it work or will it just... Well, okay, question is, will it work? Yes, and it's not only cars, but quality teams. And that's going to be a big difference because now you've got opportunity for teams like Action Express, teams like Wayne Taylor Racing, JDC Miller Motorsports with their two Cadillac DPIs. You've got Acura Team Penske. You could have Penske going back for Le Mans win. Yes, but will they go and do the rest of the WEC? The oh, ACO yeah. don't need more Le Mans entries. They've already, Johnny, got more than they can handle. So every new LMDH team that they take that isn't WEC means somebody from the Asian Le Mans series or somebody from the ELMS doesn't get an entry. I think the only thing this will bolster, as far as the WEC is concerned, is more entries on Friday at Sebring for round six and Le Mans. Because I don't think, you know, unless they do a race uh, in the Far East, let's say, as preparation for Sebring, as we saw Corvette do, they raced at uh, Shanghai, didn't they, with that uh, silver, what was the sponsorship? Sponsorship? Uh, Computer? Uh, it, was a, it was a silver Corvette rather yeah. than a bright yeah. yellow one because that's, uh, that was the, the branding that was used in that part of the world. And that really was a precursor to get the balance of performance right, as far as WEC was concerned, to then run at Sebring competitively. But I, I just don't think, as, as Shay's already made the point, the IMSA teams are far, far too busy. But what you might have is European-based teams buying an LMB, LMDH to run then... Um, and that's the bonus. That's the Billy bonus for the WEC because they could come and cherry pick some of the American races and they could do WEC as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, that's also embracing hybrid technology because I think all these new LMDH cars will all be hybrid automatically. Um, so that, you're projecting into the future. It's not all electric, but it's half and half. And I think it's important that, you know, they'll get more customer teams to potentially race a hypercars. And in the top class, I just really fear about what it's going to do to the hypercar concept. That's not really had a chance to get going yet. Um, you know, we see how that fares for a season on its own from this September. But what happens beyond that? I've no idea. Nick says, Nick Holland says, remember Toyota are there on an R&D basis. How does that fit the spec LMDH prototype? Thanks, but no. It's not about Toyota, Nick. You're missing the point, I'm afraid. It's about Toyota in America doing this under a Lexus brand they could sign this off for a fraction of the cost and it, 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 I'm absolutely certain Toyota is actually a unique case because the Toyota hypercar um, program LMP1 program let's call it that their top class endurance program is paid for from road car R&D that's not going to change so Toyota Japan and Toyota Cologne Toyota Motorsport Europe TMA they're going to go and do their things but none of the Toyota affiliates around the world, and motorsport is decentralised with Toyota, are going to buy into that. And they're not funding it. 
they don't put their marketing towards it either because of that unique way in which Toyota's endurance racing is funded. What this gives is an opportunity for Lexus, who are racing in IMSA in the States, to go and race at the front of the field for a fraction of the development costs, for a fraction of the running costs. And then the Billy bonus for them is, Shea, that the Lexus could go to Le Mans and compete for outright victory. And that, and we've talked to people at Mazda, at Lexus, uh, representatives from Ford, that's really, really interesting. So from an IMSA point of view, it could well bolster the top class from IMSA. DPI 2.0 would have done that anyway, I believe. But what you've got is the additional international component, an international component for GM with Cadillac or another brand, for Mazda in the US, for Lexus in the US and others. That international component would be Le Mans and Le Mans only, I think. And that's something that Kyle Busch actually mentioned in his press conference during the roar. Someone asked him about running other races and he specifically mentioned Le Mans, but he said he wouldn't go back with he wouldn't go with any other manufacturer besides Toyota or maybe Lexus. And Toyota already runs an overall program there, so that would be pretty difficult. But maybe Lexus could go. And he started going down this rabbit hole. Now you start to wonder, well, did he already know something? Had he already been talked about perhaps going there one day with Lexus in a category that didn't yet exist, but he didn't know it didn't exist because he's not privy to this world. He was just told, hey, do you want to come run the mall one day? If you enjoy this Daytona thing, we're going to have a space for you. There's potential there. And just to finish the, the Toyota point, there's no doubt that Toyota in the USA, TRD in the USA, could take a hypercar and rebrand it as a Lexus. But they haven't got the funds for that. They couldn't even afford to run it. Never mind. to. to the, and, and, I, and I actually don't think that that's what Toyota uh, would want. Uh, let's, let's finish up about this. Um, there's a, the 600-pound guru in the room is Peugeot. And with, some people would unkindly say with the ACO and with the French, it's always about Peugeot. So how does this affect Peugeot? Well, we've seen, Johnny, haven't we? Uda Shornak saying, right, forget hypercar. I'm, gonna, I'm going down the LMDH route, whatever Peugeot decide to do. So this is an interesting conundrum for the French, uh, for the French series and indeed for French manufacturers. It, it, it's a state of flux, isn't it? Because either the relationship with Orica continues and Peugeot have to have a complete rethink and don't go the hypercar route, or they have to pick another chassis manufacturer and stick with the original program. Um, it really depends, I think, on who they've got to compete with at Hypercar by that point, because they're going to be entering, I think, a season later. Uh, 2022's mentioned, too. So maybe we're going to be two years into Hypercar by that point. And it'll be a good time for Peugeot to, to see the lie of the land. You know, if they are literally up against the Glickenhaus and nothing else, I think they will change direction. But it will really depend on who else has entered Hypercar for the for the five year running, I, I see hypercar running out of steam, unfortunately, and everyone going the, the slightly more cheap and popular route, which would be LMDH. All right, uh, we'll put that to one side for the moment. There's going to be some technical regulations uh, that are uh, detailed more at Super Sebring. Uh, we're coming towards the end of our time, uh, and. Let's uh, have a quick word about Bathurst. You've heard, you'll be able to hear uh, Creelsey and I working, walking up and down the pit lane uh, yesterday. Quality failed, no chance of pitting a winner is uh, what we came to the conclusion. Share, Adam. 
No, the only thing that I can say is in all the years that we've been coming, John, there's only been one manufacturer that's repeated as the victor in all that time. That was Mercedes, uh, Mercedes, no, Ferrari, who's done it. So they've won twice. I'm expecting it to be another new manufacturer to win this year. So that means Aston Martin, Honda, Bentley, Lamborghini. Uh, yeah, we've got our work cut out for us. BMW. But 25 drivers came down with us from Daytona, six of them with brand new Rolexes on their wrists, three of those for the first time. So we've got a quality field of driving. There's a couple of manufacturers that are taking this very seriously. Porsche, having only won for the first time last year, JP, uh, really looking to repeat. And as she says, that's that's a difficult thing uh, to do. You've got to say the Valvoline Audis look particularly uh, particularly uh, serious as well. I'm not saying that everybody else has come here for a bit of a laugh, but you know what I mean when I say that. Yeah, uh, true, but um, I mean, we've got 20 cars entered into the Class A Pro division, and I've counted 11 different manufacturers in GT3. Got the brand new Aston here. We've also got the brand new Mercedes because the FIA uh, homologation calendar has been realigned. So that for the first time ever, brand new cars for 2020 or indeed the new year, can now be run at Bathurst, which, because we, we had the old Aston here last year, uh, we had the old Bentley here last year as well, but I just think this this event is just going up another level, if that was possible, because everybody's going to be able to see the brand new GT3 cars at the start of the year here at Bathurst. Great news. Well, we've got full coverage all over the weekend. The track to town is starting today. Johnny and I are going to have a wander up to the... Australian Motorsport Museum here because they've got a fantastic uh, display uh, and exhibition that reflects the 6 and 12 hour race. We'll be reporting uh, from that as well. Let's uh, finish uh, with a couple of tweets. Dave Alcock says, giving endurance racing is essentially now a series of 40 minute sprints uh, and newer EVs have bigger batteries with more power. Is there any mention of uh, accommodating full EVs with quick change battery packs, uh, not yet, but hmm, who knows? Kevin Payne says the scars will never heal from that uh, conjoined Sebring. He, he says, uh, oh, "Where's he gone? Uh, where's that disappeared to?" Uh, he says, "Johnny said uh, about uh, hypercar running out of steam. I don't think it's built up ahead of steam uh, quite yet uh, at the moment." I. I Again, I think this puts people who have, I think that if I'm honest, if I'm brutally honest, I think this puts people who've decided to invest large sums of money in in hypercar in a difficult position. Um, and whether that means that they will reassess or not, I don't know. Glickenhaus are fine. They've told us already it's they're going to be fine as well. And they're quite happy for this. They'll be happy if they're allowed to race in, in IMSA. That part of it hasn't been squared away yet. Number of people talking about... Uh, the, as we finish up on our conversations tonight, squares with the circles about how the BOP is done. IMSA, and, and I say this without fear or favour, IMSA have a data-based BOP share. And I would think that the thinking on this, um, uh, Thierry Bouvier, who is the ACO guy who is brilliant, and Simon Hodgson, the H should actually stand for Hodgson, to be honest, um, they will have worked together and they will know what they can deliver on this. And both of those guys are clever. They are realistic and they will know what they can deliver. 
Yeah, and there wouldn't have been an announcement if they hadn't already been working together behind the scenes for a very long time to make sure that everything could be done fair, properly, and with financial backing in mind in terms of the teams because they wouldn't want to enter into something that would then cost their teams a lot of money to try and make it happen. Thank you very much to uh, Tim Gray and uh, also to Nick Damon back over in the UK. And thank you for staying with us uh, for our technical problems. Well, I have not clue what that is. We'll sort that out for you and get it sorted. There's going to be lots of Bathurst uh, content this weekend with all of the 12 hours uh, in audio, all the 12-hour sessions in audio, even when the TV's not up. There's a bit of change this weekend in terms of what's being covered by who here in the local market, but that doesn't affect the international TV streaming stream, and you'll still get our commentary uninterrupted uh, on that throughout the race on Sunday here, which means, of course, it starts on Saturday evening back in the UK. See how long uh, you can stay up if you're going to go through the night. There's some quality support racers who have a fabulous set of their own commentators over Saturday, and, of course, we've got the... Uh, top 10 shoot out as well. That's all this weekend. Uh, again, apologies for our issues. Thank you to everyone who uh, has stayed with us. And there's no time to explain because unusually this week, the llama has got to go and cook breakfast. Stay tuned for me and Creelzy in the pit lane next. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.